last night. We looked at briefing number one, your enemy hates you. We saw that the devil is referred to as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And then we looked at that passage where many of us are familiar with the passage in Ephesians that talks about the armor. But those three verses right before it gets into the armor uh, really talks about that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, uh, that we should uh, put on the whole armor of God, that we may, may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we took a look at that passage and we looked at how we ought to know uh, His ways. We ought to know His weapons and we ought to know His weakness. And really we're going to kind of broaden that idea tonight when we talk about know His weakness. And so Job chapter 1, let's start in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Excuse me. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered... Pastor, can you give me some more light up here? Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an, and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath? And on every side thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land? So do you understand what the devil is saying about Job? He's saying that the only reason that he worships you, God, the only reason that he adores you and loves you, is because you blessed him. And Satan says, hey, you take away all those things that you've given him, He'll curse you to your face, I promise. You see, evidently, this is part of the, the war that goes on between Satan and God. You see, Satan doesn't like us very much. We talked about that, right? Our enemy hates us. And obviously, he thinks we're so stupid and so petty that the only reason that we would possibly adore and love and worship God is because we get little trinkets, toys, things. But thank God there was a man like Job who could stand up and be faithful and prove that mankind is not as simple as just serving God for trinkets and toys, but that we are capable of really loving and worshiping and adoring God. And you know what? The same battle is going on today in your life and my life. I wonder if, uh, if Satan were to ask that question of us, would we be found faithful like Job? You know, I hope that, that I can get to the point where I can say, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. That's a big statement, you know that? Yeah. But that ought to be our goal as believers. That, that's the, the mark to push for, to have that kind of unwavering faith in God. Verse 11, He says, But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said... Now notice how quickly all of this happens. How quickly Job's world falls apart. The oxen were plowing and the asses were feeding beside them. 
and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So you understand, he's, he's lost uh, his livestock, and he's lost his servants. Okay, That's some of, his, some of the assets of his wealth that he's lost. Now look at what happens in verse 16. While he was yet speaking. So while this servant was given the bad news that you know, his oxen, his livestock, and his servants have been killed, while he was yet speaking, verse 16, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and thy servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So not only the, the oxen and the asses that were over there, the oxen and the donkeys, but now another messenger comes while the other one's bringing the news and says, Also your sheep have been destroyed. Verse 17, While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels, and we carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then verse 18, And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So you understand, he's lost all of his livestock, all of the assets of his wealth are gone, and now he also gets news that his family has been taken. I mean, his whole world has fallen apart in a matter of minutes. Now, what do you think somebody's response would be on a day when everything like that happened to them? Let me show you what Job's response was in verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Did I hear that right? His world has fallen apart and he falls down on the ground and worships God. Verse 21, And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let me tell you, Job was a man of faith. He wouldn't allow anything to shake his relationship with Almighty God. In verse 22, what an amazing statement. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. I mean, Job maintained his testimony. Verse 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God... Chapter 2, excuse me, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? You understand that even though all this has happened to Job, still the same thing is true of Job here in chapter 2 as was true of Job over in chapter 1. He's still the same man. He still loves God. He still lives righteously. He still has his relationship intact with God. Have you considered Him? He says to him. Verse 4, and Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. In other words, 
Make him think, let me make him think that he's going to die, and then you'll see how Job really is. Verse 5, But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto, the, unto his crown. I've never had a boil myself, but Pastor Eric, if you want to know how painful a boil is, ask him. He and I were friends when he had a boil, and I remember him telling me about going to the hospital to get it lanced and how painful it was. Pastor Eric, you could hardly move anyway without it somehow being painful. Just a horrible, horrible sore. Pastor Eric had one. Job had him from the crown of his head all the way down to his feet. And yet, in all of that, Job sinned not. You know, Job really had something that you and I need to lock into. You and I need to tap into that kind of faithfulness. I I wouldn't be so bold as to say that I'm there yet. I would hope that if some tragedy or something like that befell me, that uh, God's grace, I'm, I'm certain that God's grace would be sufficient and that He would uphold me and that I would be able to look toward Him. But what a wonderful uh, testimony Job had. But really, as we look at this tonight, where Job really, we, we know that story, but I want us to really consider how Satan operates and how he attacked Job. And so as we look at this this evening in your field manual, Uh, outline. This is briefing number two, if you'll find your way to that. This is our training objective for the briefing tonight, okay? Soldiers, this is what we're trying to get across. You must know the rules of engagement. Now, I'm not talking about our attacks against the enemy, right? Many times when soldiers go into battle, they have certain uh, rules of engagement where... um, you know, they are not allowed to shoot unless fired upon, or uh, they're not allowed to be in this zone. They're only allowed to shoot in this zone, or whatever like that. Many times there are rules of engagement that are given to soldiers. But I want you to understand that tonight, it's our enemy that has the rules of engagement, because even though he is vicious, and even though he is uh, stronger than us, he's an angel, so uh, he's not man, so he has more power than us, he does not have more power than God. And so we see right here in the book of Job, he's having to go to God to ask permission to do the things that he's going to do. Now realizing that Job is accusing us and just wants to, I mean, it's not Job, excuse me, that Satan is accusing us and just wants us to fall and wants to prove that, you know, really we only serve God because of the blessings in our life. That ought to wake us up and we ought to realize that we need to be aware of this enemy. Listen to what Thomas Kempis said. He said, The devil never sleeps, and your flesh is very much alive. Prepare yourself for battle. Surrounding you are enemies that never rest. You understand, we we get tired. We have to, we have to, to, to relax. We have to take vacations. We have to, to sleep every 24 hours. Or we try to, right? <laughs> right? But we are fighting an enemy that does not have to do that. So we need to be aware and ready to fight Him. We need to be on our guard. Now, what I want you to understand tonight about these rules of engagement, as these enemies that do not sleep wage their war against us, as they attack us, here are the rules of engagement that they must follow. And soldiers, you need to understand these 
and use them to your advantage. Right? We looked at yesterday, General Sun Tzu, that um, Chinese general, he was the one that said that the way that you can have an advantage over your enemy is to read and learn, right? To know. Well, that's what we're going to do tonight. I want you to understand his rules of engagement so that you can use those to your advantage. The first one I want you to understand is the requirement of all enemy forces. They have a requirement upon them where they have to do this before they can lay a finger on you or me. Before they can do anything to us, this first requirement has to be met. And the requirement that I'm talking about is this. Satan has to ask permission from God. Satan has to ask permission from God. Billy Graham, you have this in your book. Billy Graham said, Satan must be the most frustrated personality in the universe. His army of demons is compelled to obey Jesus, and whatever the devil does to discourage a Christian, God can use for the Christian's benefit. Now you think all through the New Testament. Think all through the New Testament. You'll never come across any kind of situation where some demon outfoxed Jesus, or outwitted Jesus, or somehow Jesus had to run away from a demon. You see, Jesus is God. They were subject to Him. Do you remember the, the, the maniac there in the um, Maniac of Gadara? Remember, he lived among the tombs. And you remember Legion, you know, the demon said, I'm Legion. And Jesus said, what's your name? He said, I'm Legion for we are many. And you remember they said, what have you done? Come to torment us before it's time. And they begged Jesus, instead of banishing them, to send them into the herd of swine. Yeah. You see, they had to ask permission, once again, what they could and could not do. True. They are subject to God. They were subject to Jesus in the New Testament. Satan must be the most frustrated personality in the universe. His army of demons is compelled to obey Jesus and whatever the devil does to discourage a Christian, God can use for the Christian's benefit. I would agree wholeheartedly with Billy Graham and that statement there. Now some preliminary observations that I want to make regarding Job, okay? So that we can understand this story tonight. Job was righteous, right? We see that in chapter 1. I want you to see this. Um, Verse 7. Excuse me, no, verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? Now, when God, God knows everybody. So when God says that about someone, that's saying something. There is not someone like him in the earth. A perfect, God calls him a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Listen, when God says you're righteous, you're righteous. Job was living right. So understand tonight, Job, this didn't happen to him because he was involved in some kind of sin. This happened to him because he was living right. Okay? So not every time somebody falls into trouble does it mean that, oh, they're not living right, and now you know they're reaping the consequences of that. No, Job suffered because he was doing right. Sometimes bad things happen to people who are serving God and doing what is right. However, however, many times Satan can wreak havoc in our life, not by raining down trouble like he did with Job who was righteous, but by simply tempting us to do wrong and then we give in and then he just lets sin take its course. 
You see, even though not everybody who suffers is suffering because of consequences, they, they, you know, things that they've done, there are many people who are suffering because of the choices they made. There is a principle in the Bible that is just as uh, set as any other law of the universe. And that is the principle of sowing and reaping. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. That is a principle of life. Sow to the flesh, you'll reap uh, corruption. Sow to the Spirit and you will reap the things of God. Okay, Sowing and reaping. If you go and rob a bank and you get thrown in jail, all right, don't say, why God? Why me? I'm like Job. I'm suffering. No, you robbed a bank. Okay? And that's why you got thrown in jail. Okay? So there's that principle of sowing and reaping. But for us as Christians, we don't know what a person's relationship is with God. So we never need to point the finger at someone else and say, you're suffering because you did thus and so. In fact, if you read the rest of the book of Job, you'll find out that's what his friends did. Even though that he was living right, God said he was more right than anybody else. So obviously he was more righteous than those three friends that were accusing him. They continued to say that he was in sin and doing the wrong thing. Those that are serving God though, okay, sowing and reaping, if you're not sowing to the flesh, but you are indeed sowing those things which honor God, then you tonight can take comfort in Romans 8.28. Turn over to Romans 8.28, in fact. Now, this doesn't apply to you if you're wicked and sowing to the flesh and not living for God, alright? But if you are living for God, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them, here's the key, to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So Romans 8.28 lets us understand that as believers, everything that comes into our life, everything is filtered through the hands of a loving God. If you're here tonight, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, and you are protected by God, okay? And everything that comes into your life, Satan has to come and ask permission from God before he can do whatever it is that he wants to do. So it is all filtered through God's hands. Satan has to ask permission. God allowed those things to happen to Job. Why? So that he could prove that Job really loved God and that Job would be faithful no matter what was happening in his world around him. Now, have you ever, those of you that have been saved for a while and know the Word of God and have read the story of Job before, have you ever thought to yourself, and I've been guilty of this, thinking, whew, I sure hope Satan doesn't ask God to test my faithfulness like that, right? Because I really don't want to lose everything I have. And, you know, see, uh, you know, if Kara were to be taken from me, I I don't know if I could be like Job. You know, I want to be, but I'm not so bold to say that I'm there yet. I can only say that I trust God that His grace would be sufficient to help me. But if that's the way you feel, listen to this piece of poetry from the 1600s. The author says, The devil was piqued such saintship to behold, and long to tempt him like good Job of old. But Satan now is wiser than of yore, and tempts by making rich, not making poor. You know, this is something that you can think of. Maybe the reason why Job's story is included in the Bible is because it was the first time that Satan had attacked the human race 
in that capacity. He was testing to see what we were made of. Now, this, I'm, this, is, a biblical, I mean, this is just extra that I'm giving you, alright, that you can think about. So, don't argue about this and say, I'm not going to fellowship with you if you don't believe what Pastor Jimmy said, alright? But just maybe, maybe it was a landmark case, maybe Satan changed his strategy with the defeat of Job. But either way, I want you to understand, there is just, mu- just as much difficulty in remaining faithful when everything's taken away, and there's just as much difficulty as when Satan lavishes everything of the world upon us. There's just as many dangers in being rich as there is in being poor. So be on the lookout for that. Maybe Satan is attacking you, and he's not doing it by taking things away. He's doing it by giving you things. Just be on guard for that. But understand that for the believer, everything that comes into our life is filtered through God's hand. There's an old Chinese story about a very old man, a very old man, his name was Sai. He had one son and one horse. Alright, so you got this? Old Chinese man, all his possessions, got one horse, he's got one son. One day the horse ran away. Sai was very worried. Only one horse to his name and now the horse was lost. And someone said to Sai, don't don't worry about it. Just wait a little while. The horse came back. And not long after that, his only son learned to ride that horse, went out to a field, and returning home, he fell from the horse and broke his leg. Well, this really just threw Sai into a just worry and distraught and anxiety. He said, I have one horse and it ran away. It comes back and now my son breaks his leg on that horse. I wish the horse just had stayed away, right? So now his son has a broken leg. But someone said, Sai, don't worry. Just wait a little while. And so, after the accident, a war broke out. All the young men went to war and none of them returned. But Sai's son, because he had the broken leg, stayed at home, remained alive to enjoy his father and their family for a long time thereafter. What am I trying to get across to you tonight? Sometimes we don't understand because we don't see the big picture of what God is doing. We see just the little window of our here and now and our limited understanding. And things come into our life and And we are like, why did that happen? I don't understand. If God loves me, why is this happening? We have to trust God, understanding that He sees the big picture, and take comfort in knowing all things work together for good to them that love God, and understand that anything the devil does to us is filtered through God's hands. Alright, so the requirement. He has to ask permission from God. Rule number two. Rule number two of engagement. The restriction... We talked about this a little bit yesterday. We're going to look at it a little bit more in depth tonight. The restriction is this. We can't be tempted above what we are able to bear. Now this is very important. Now you'll notice this verse that I'm going to give you, it's in your booklet twice. That's no mistake. Okay. I want you to get this verse. It's important. Really understand what it means for you and your warfare as you fight against the devil. We can't can't be tempted above what we are able to bear. 
And where we get this rule from is 1 Corinthians 10.13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And I like what Oswald Chambers said here. Everything the devil does, God overreaches to serve His own purpose. You see, as the devil tries to destroy us with his temptations, God turns it around and uses it in our lives to make us stronger, to make us better, to make us more conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. See, God overreaches the purposes of Satan. Kind of like in the life of Joseph. You remember, his brothers did all those evil things to him, and yet when they came back to him, he did good to them. They were worried about what he would do, who he would do to them once he was the, the high-ranking official in Egypt. And he said to them, You meant it to me for evil, but God meant it for good. And everything that comes into our life can be put into that same context. The devil, he means it for evil, but God will turn it around and will use it for our good. You know, God will not allow us to be tempted or tested above what we are able to do. Every time that we fail in a temptation, uh, we, were, we should have been able to beat it. It's always within our capabilities to beat every temptation that comes into our life. So whose fault is it when we don't uh, beat the temptation? It's ours. It's not anybody's fault but our own. Because God won't allow something to come into our life unless He knows we're ready. Many of you know that um, I have my private pilot's license. And I will never forget the first time that I flew an airplane by myself. They call it a solo. And uh, I had gone and had flown the airplane and worked with my instructor, worked with my instructor. You have to have at least 40 hours of flight instruction before the flight instructor can sign you off and allow you to fly that airplane by yourself. I think I had at that point, I had well over 40 hours. I had about 70 hours. But I'll never forget the day we were there and I was doing takeoffs and landings, just routine, doing all the things we were supposed to do. And I landed and the flight instructor said, all right, just pull over here. So I pulled off the runway over to the side and he opened the door and got out. And he said, today's the day. And I knew the day was coming, but it's like reality hit me when he stepped out of the plane. I realized, hey, if I mess up coming in for the landing now, there's no one to take the controls, right? It's just me. I'm in here by the, in the airplane by myself. And I looked at him and I, I said, are you sure I'm ready? And he looked at me in the eyes and he said, if I didn't think you were ready, I wouldn't be getting out of this airplane. You know what? That gave me the confidence to take that airplane, taxi back to the end of the runway, take off and do, I think I did three or four takeoffs and landings handling that airplane by myself. You know, that flight instructor would not have allowed me to do that if he felt that I was going to endanger myself or endanger other people. He knew I was ready. And you know, God does the same thing in our temptations. He will not allow anything to come into our life that we can't handle. So take comfort in that. Understand, we can't be tempted above what we are able John Burroughs studies birds. He's a naturalist. He said that when a hawk is attacked by crows or kingbirds, that hawk doesn't make a counterattack. 
but soars higher and higher in ever-widening circles until his tormentors leave him alone. You know, we're not tempted above what we can bear. So listen to me, young person, if you find yourself often giving in to temptation and it just seems like you can never win that battle, it's not because of circumstances or situations, right? Maybe it's because you're flying too low. You see, like the hawk that flies up high, that's how it's able to evade and get rid of its enemies and its predators. And in the same way, young people, you and I, we need to be close to God. We need to fly higher, if you will, so that we can stay out of the temptations. It's nobody's fault but our own. If we fall into temptation all the time, it's because we're flying too low. There is always a way of escape. So next time you have that difficult temptation come, you're not sure if you can make your way out, do like the hawk. Look up and look for that way of escape. Our rule number two was the restriction. We can't be tempted above what we were able. But then, rule number three, the resistance. That's what we're all about, right? The resistance. When we resist, the devil must flee. The devil must flee. And that is our uh, key verse. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Oswald Chambers said this, The devil is a bully, but when we stand in the armor of God, he cannot harm us. If we tackle him in our own strength, we are soon done for. But if we stand with the strength and courage of God, He cannot gain one inch at all. Now, you understand, this is really the key. Resisting the devil. When we resist him, he must flee. And you remember yesterday I used the illustration of the football game. right? Some of you play football. And I said, imagine if you played in a football game and any time that somebody, one of the opposing team, tried to come and take the ball from you, all you had to do was say, stop, 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 and they would have to stop. Would it be pretty easy to play the game? You say, yeah, because I just run down the field, and any time they came toward me, I'd say, stop, 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 and then i kick it right into the goal, right? Well, that is the kind of war that we, we wage against Satan. When we resist him, when we say stop, he has to flee. Let me put it in another visualization for you. Uh, do y'all remember this movie? And Pastor Eric, if, I don't know if you can reach the lights, but um, if you can take it down any. Do you remember this scene from The Matrix? Do you remember that? Where he puts his hand up, and those bullets that are coming toward him, they just stop right in midair. The Neil was on the ground, and he awoke to the fact that he could control... The system. He realized that he could control the system, and then when they shot those guns, he just put his hand up and said, no, no. And all those bullets just stopped. Do you realize that we have the same power as believers? If we resist the devil, he must flee. Anything that he shoots at us, we can just put our hand up and say, no, no, no. And when we resist, he must flee. Young person, I hope that you'll get hold of that as you come to these meetings. I hope you'll understand that the war is won by us resisting. Next time He throws that temptation at you, you just resist. No, I'm not going to put up with that, Satan. 
and he has to flee. Alright, so our three rules of engagement. Alright, what is the first rule? The requirement, right? And what is the requirement? He has to ask permission from God for any things he do. Rule number two, the restriction. We can't be tempted above what we were able to bear, right? And then rule number three, the the resistance, right? When we resist the devil, he must, he must flee. Young people, I hope that you'll put that into action in your life. Resist the devil and he will flee. Augustine said this, The devil is like a mad dog that is chained up. He is powerless to harm us when we are outside his reach. But once we enter his circle, we expose ourselves again to injury or harm. You know, the only time he wins is when we want him to. Because whenever we resist, he has to flee. The last illustration for you tonight, this is in your book. There was, according to legend, a young apprentice in Scotland. One evening he met a stranger, only to discover that the stranger was, in fact, the devil. Remembering some advice he'd received, the boy was carrying with him a branch from a rowan tree. Quickly he drew a circle around himself with the branch, and then the devil couldn't step across the line. All night long he tried to trick the boy into leaving his protected circle, but failed. At dawn he left in a rage. Now, just a legend, just a story. But what a wonderful principle and a true principle that is illustrated through that legend, through that story. The thing is, as the author continues, when Jesus met the devil, he did not use the branch of a tree to protect himself, but he used quotations of Scripture. David used the same thing. Thy word have I hidden mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. I want you to get that imagery into your mind of the circle around you. And the truth of the matter is, he is not allowed in that circle. The devil's not allowed in that circle unless we let him in. When we resist him, he must flee. And you know, one of the best ways that we can resist is by using our sword, using the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted of Satan, three times he was tempted. Three times he used the Word of God to defend uh, from those attacks. And we see David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The Word of God is the key. And young people, we're going to talk about that tomorrow morning. Swordsmanship 101.